Since I've got to this building today, I've been happy, I've been cheerful. My emotions are flying all over the place. It's weird. Let's see what happens. <laughs> it's going to be pretty strange, I think. I don't know how I feel, buddy. It's going to be very sad. And it's going to be joyful as well at the same time. I don't really know what to expect. I've got butterflies in my stomach. I feel like I'm being sentenced to death or something. Like something terrible is about to happen. It'll be a feeling of knowing we're not going to be playing these songs again. It's the last show ever. You have to leave the audience with the best show that they're ever going to see from Sabbath. This is definitely it. One of the proudest things I have in my heart is the fact that Black Sabbath wasn't a band that was created by some big mogul guy. That was four guys who said, let's have a go, we have a dream, and it came true beyond our wildest expectations. We're Black Sabbath. Compels me. What the fuck's the matter with these cunts? What's the matter with them? They must be on some fucking mega egos, these guys. They got horses and bloody ducks. The whole part of being a rock star is being a rock star. And what the rock stars do, you get a limo, you get a legend, you got people running around licking your ass. I get nicknamed Nibby. Uh, I looked at Bill Ward and he had this big long beard. And I said, You look like a pen nib. Hello, all my zoomers. Very strange, and, and Giza in particular had all sorts of weird dreams and weird thoughts. And it might have been the acid on them. Is it the end of the beginning? The beginning of the end. Ah, the ultimate question. Well, my friends, it's the end of the journey so far. That's all I can guarantee. And to the end of a decade, too. Happy New Year, as this thing will be dropping with the ball. 2020. Hopefully it isn't doomsday out there, as I'm pre-recording this. Who knows, right? 2020? Doesn't that sound like something the fucking Mayans would lose their shit over? Anyway, we've had some fun here over the past two years on Sabbath Bloody Podcast, but until the lads come out of retirement, I'm closing this chapter. Our Sabography for the Masses, Volume 1. As always, a safe place for all Sabbath worship. Closing it down tonight. We've got a final batch of Sabbath to cover here, too. Not the most shining example of classic Black Sabbath, but a Black Sabbath album nonetheless. And there are some great tracks in this whole big fucking shit pile. (laughs) I might be in the minority of actually enjoying these songs here. Not necessarily the ones that are on the album, mind you. But we're covering 13 and the end today all in one shot. So hopefully I can get through all this before the new year strikes for you, wherever you are out there. The Four tried to make a proper reunion happen many times. However, Bill Ward was presented with an unsignable contract, and we were left with the OG3, as I call it. Iomi, Ozzy, Geezer. They did work on some new tracks at Tony Iomi's home studio, and they even hit a few fucking live gigs around 2012. So the Brotherhood was tight again, with the OG3 at least, albeit kind of fueled mostly by the prospect of massive fucking cash flow by the end. 
In the initial stages, I still kind of feel a brotherhood here. It's strong, especially diving into Iomi's health issues and Ozzy and Geezer really rallying beside him. That's fucking cool shit. The war machine keeps turning, guys. So we'll pick up our yarn here. After the OG3 have played their fucking hometown of Birmingham, as well as download and Lollapalooza festivals with former Rob Zombie and Ozzy drummer Tommy Kofutos behind the kit now. On the 13th of January, 2013, they just fucking love hitting all those double dates, don't they? <laughs> They're fucking worse than the Mayans. <laughs> January 13th, 2013, the band announced that an album would be released in June of that same year under the title 13. It was also confirmed that Longtime no results fucking collaborator producer Rick Rubin, the guru, would be sleeping on the couch in the studio while they recorded it. Because <laughs> that's his fucking contribution to every album <laughs> after the Beastie Boys. <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's hear from Rick Rubin first before I start tearing him a new fucking asshole. I've been a fan of Black Sabbath my whole life, and getting to come to work every day and hearing Black Sabbath play, it stimulates something in me, just like when I was 14 years old. The same thing gets stimulated that, like, I remember being a kid and listening to the vinyl, that same thing gets turned on, and it's, uh, it's a really good feeling. We talked about a mission statement of what we were trying to accomplish, and then they would write songs and play them for me and, and sort of say, do these fit in the boundaries of what we're going for? And more often than not, they did. In a couple of cases, they didn't. They just want what's best, and we're all sort of working together to find whatever works best for them. My goal is to make something really great that I could listen to forever. That's the whole heart of it, that hopefully can sit alongside the best Black Sabbath albums is exciting. You know, we've, we've worn out the old ones. The idea that there's something new to listen to that really scratches that itch is very exciting. I know it's almost fucking cliche these days to slam Rick Rubin, but... It stems from all that back in the day. You know, if you're into heavy music, everybody said he could do no wrong. The fucking Slayer albums, the Beastie Boys, the fucking Raging Against the Machine albums he did. But I've always thought that Rick Rubin's contributions were way overrated and his concepts weren't all that amazing. I mean, it's up to the artist to really run with it. I mean, it works well for some artists, too. I mean, I love fucking Tom Petty's Wildflowers. That's one of my favorite albums, and Rick Rubin was involved in that. But, like, all the cash fucking stuff that everyone loses their shit about or did lose their shit about when he died, they're fucking covers, man. Just stripped down with an old man singing them. Of course the masses eat them up. <laughs> Not really a hot take, but I think that those are pretty fucking lame records. And most people are sick of Rubin now, too. It just doesn't work for me, man. Everything sounds more fake once he's kind of done his shit to it, in the final mixes anyway, completely counter to his intention, at least what I gather in his docs and his interviews. So fuck that clown. <laughs> okay. I'm getting fucking pissy here at the end, aren't I? The retirement should serve me well. <laughs> Maybe I should just do a Rick Rubin podcast. The title 13, though, the final Sabbath studio album here, Geezer joked about it being called 13 because that's how many years it took them to make the fucking thing, which is actually kind of true. They had started working with the Guru way back in 2001, which is interesting. Like, I'd love to hear some of those early tracks, you know, back when Bill Ward would have still been involved. I don't know if they tracked anything with him, but they've yet to be released to the public anyway. But they must exist, right? Maybe look for fucking 2026, 13's 13th or something like that. Apparently, none of the songs from the 
previous sessions that they had done are in this batch that we'll cover today. I don't know if they exist in some bootleg form. I can't find them. But, you know, it isn't the most celebrated album, 13. Let's be honest. We're probably not going to get an anniversary edition anytime soon, though I personally would like to hear one because my main gripes with this album are production things. So anyway, Ruben, of course, as you probably know, there's no fucking genius to his methods, really. He fluffs the band up, takes them surfing in fucking Malibu, and then then sets the band up with some half-assed fucking guidelines that benefit him not having to do any strenuous work himself. So, <laughs> so for these 13 sessions during the recordings, the band spent at most five hours a day in the studio. They didn't want to get burnt out in the process. That's what they say in interviews anyway. But it also kept them from having any quality kind of creative breakthroughs too, apparently, because... I'm not hearing much creativity on the platter that was offered to us. They fucking cut all the songs that have any kind of uniqueness to them. And in all the interviews and the behind the scenes stuff, there's plenty of that to take in for this album because it was made in 2013. So there's tons of fucking YouTube clips that came out, although very little of it is actually interesting. (laughs) Ruben's just on there about getting back to the first four albums, erasing all the work that, they had done in the fucking other 40-some years of kicking ass. Just be a fucking blues band again. That's his guidance. And there's copious amounts of the guru literally laying on the couch, grooving and saying, man, I grew up on Sabbath, and I want it to be like I'm listening to Paranoid in my fucking living room. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, because that's the most best use of the fucking OG3 you got here, you fucking slug. Like, <laughs> so for the empty drum slot, too, they brought in Brad Wilk of Rage Against the Machine fame. He was chosen as the special guest musician, as he's credited on the album. I know a lot of people hate his playing on this record, mostly because they're probably fucking butthurt about it not being Bill Ward. And he doesn't really have that nibby sauce, I agree there. But Brad does a great job and honestly punches the riffs nicely. The, the tone on his drums, the room tone's pretty shit, but he plays the right parts for the song. It's more the room in the mix, I think. Not so much the parts. That's just me. Brad does a great job here, and he only is on the studio. They go back to Tommy Cafluto's once they actually tour the album. So I guess I'll talk a little bit about the package here, too, since I do have my vinyl in front of me here. Let's have a look at the credits on on here, too. Ozzy Osbourne, vocals and harmonica. I forgot. There's a harmonica part on fucking Damaged Souls, isn't there? Uh, Tony Iommi, guitars. Geezer Butler, bass. (laughs) Brad Wilkon <laughs> drums, produced by You Know Who, mixed by Andrew Sheps, and recorded by Greg Fiddleman. Uh, additional recording by Mike Exeter, Dana Nelson, assisted by Sarah Lynn Killian, Sean Oakley. That's some of the tracking that they would have done in Iomi's studio. Mike Exeter is just Iomi's buddy and kind of works out of his studio. Fucking great producer, too. Uh, it was recorded at Shangri-La Studios in Malibu, California. Additional recording at the Tone Hall in Warwickshire, England. The Tone Hall? Is that, is that Maybe that's Tony's studio name. The Tone Hall? Is it? <laughs> I hadn't seen that before. That's cool. Edited by Dana Nelson, Ryan Castle, Jason Grossman. Mastering by Stephen Marcosson and Stuart Whitmore at Marcosson Mastering in Hollywood, California. So those guys... Need a little slap on the wrist. It's not mastered very well. Album design and art direction by Zip. (laughs) Wicker sculpture by Spencer Jenkins. Cover photography by Jonathan Knowles. Cover location with thanks to the Carey family 
at Burcott Lodge Farm. So yeah, let's talk about the artwork here. I got it nice and big in front of me here now. I've always kind of liked the cover art, to be honest. It reminds me of like the great fucking 70s cult horror film, Wicker Man. A picture of a priest trapped inside that burning 13 there. It's fucking cool. Wiccan looking thing. <laughs> I liked it even more when I saw that they legit created this giant 13 out of wicker and lit it on fire at the Burcott Lodge farm as listed here in the credits. And there's kind of a whole documentary of the making of this cover photo on YouTube if you want to check that out. They got a cool kind of classic font too up there. Reminds, reminds me of the uh, Heaven and Hell album kind of, or Cross Purposes, a simple kind of thin font, but class. My favorite detail is though that they brought back the Vertigo Swirl officially for these processings. So that's a cool nod to the original Sabbath Stones, even on the vinyl here. They got the fucking swirl right there. There's stuff going on in the black around the 13, the burning 13 on the cover image, much like Seven Star. You don't notice it in the thumbnails and shit, but you can see like a forest and all the, it's a cool cover. The inserts on my vinyl have photos of Iomi's amps, like close-ups of the cross die cuts on his fucking laneys and it's badass. So let's just push the needle in now one last time for a big fix here. Hopefully I don't OD before the end because there's tons of bonus material that trickles out over the next four years here, all linked to 13, so let's cover it all in one shot. Push the, needle in. the exposition begins as soon as you dig the needle into this fucker. The end of the beginning. A heavy-handed opener here, no doubt to let us know what Rick Rubin is presenting us with. A fucking throwback OG Sabbath record, that's what he wanted. It quickly kind of degenerates into a full-blown just rehashing of the old shit, but I remember first hearing this track and really digging it. Like, oh, this sounds like old Sabbath. That's awesome. And you know what? At least this song here, the end of the beginning, I do dig its kind of throwback vibes in it. It works. It's not a direct copy like some of the other ones are. Although now, I mean, arriving back at this album after deep diving into the rest of the back catalog, all that glorious shit that I missed in my first approach, the way that Sabbath evolved, I have a very different feel on the 13 album as a whole. It's kind of fucking painful at times just how derivative this album gets, mainly in the sequencing. That's my main beef with it. I'll be harping on that the whole time. And even this one here, it, the end of the beginning, it's like the perfect fucking closer for the album, but way too on the nose for an opener, at least for what I would want from a new Sabbath record at this point in their career. I know the whole deal was to appeal to the masses, the fucking Luddites out there who checked out after Tech X. They didn't give a shit about anything after 75. And I guess if you can accept that you're not going to hear any fresh shit in here, if you just want a doomy kind of retro Aussie-fronted Sabs record, like I suppose I even did back when it was released, well, son, you fucking got it here. The first track delivers that in spades. It might as well have the fucking thunder and rain at the beginning, <laughs> but that's coming later. But not getting negative here on the first track. I do like this one a lot. The end of the beginning opens with a big kind of dissident riff, a slight update of the debut self-titled song, really. Ozzy settles into his familiar riffage with like a warm bath, which is actually really cool to hear as his most recent kind of solo stuff, it always kind of lacked the rawness that his vocals have here or, or that his vocals had in Sabbath. Even on repeat listens, fucking Ozzy's great on this album. I know a lot of people shit on him here, but come on, it's certainly less processed than say fucking Scream. Or... And the fact is, even the song structures, like they have these distinct kind of sections, kind of three acts, the whole song kind of 
goes long and circles back on itself, but there's enough variation in the tempos that it doesn't drag for me. And Ozzy's melodies are great. They change up the riffs, not just following along. They do later in the album, but it's just a solid fucking Sabbath track, dudes. I really like the third act of the song the most. When Tony's solo kicks in, it's fantastic. It's a very melodic kind of mode that they arrive at. It recalls my favorite kind of wheelhouse, that fucking Sabbath volume four, dirty arpeggio kind of style. It really kicks into those classic Koki Iomi vibes during the solo. It's a fucking juggernaut. And the big wind down at the end, it's great. My only gripe with it really is where it's sequenced. Like as an opener, it doesn't really work, but it would be a fantastic fucking closer for the album. And the lyrics too. They're a little hacky at points, sure, but not the worst, that's for sure. Kind of a mix of Geezer and Ozzy's kind of styles. Apparently, this song in particular was direct reference to the Doctor Who TV series Geezer had been kind of binge-watching. <laughs> Gloria wasn't home, I, <laughs> I suppose. Specifically, the line, Regeneration of your cybersonic soul transformed in time and space beyond control. Like That's apparently a direct lift. I don't fucking know. Never watched Doctor Who myself. But apparently some of the lyrics in, from this and in the song Zeitgeist as well are about Doctor Who. So there you go, nerds. Fucking enjoy that. It's sci-fi, time travel, and the threat of nuclear war. Not new ground for Sabbath, just classic fucking geese here. So I'm cool with it. So there you go. Fucking great opener. Like I said, lads, it's not the worst album in the world. There's just a threat of fucking terrible sequencing and some quite derivative material that, that really sinks down the overall ranking of this album. And that fucking mediocre core that I'm talking about, it kicks in right away. In the next three tracks, that's what sinks this the most and solidifies fucking 13 as a painfully safe and kind of shite record overall. Nothing wrong with kind of quoting your past. So I like the opener, I let that slide, but it, to keep referencing the past, the entire fucking first half of the album like they do, like, man, it's like, what's the fucking point, guys? Like, put out a Greatest Hits album again, and then throw in two or three new tracks if you want to excite that target audience. I guess they knew people would just buy it up as the new fucking Sabbath record. So, why take any chances on negative reviews? Just make some fucking rehash stuff, right? Well, that's what the guru suggested. Oh, well. So, we go into the void now. The single here first, track two called God is Dead, and I really dislike this one. It's fucking painfully boring. And this is coming off that big, long, sprawling track of the end of the beginning, and we're hit with like another kind of more lumbering version of the same. Bad sequencing. We need to, a fucking quick burner here, lads, like something to wake us up. But no, we get God is Dead. God is Dead with a question mark. So it's not saying God is dead, it's questioning is he dead or... I don't know. Then later in the lyrics, he says that I don't believe that God is dead. So it's kind of like an after forever kind of deal, a secret kind of Christian song, I guess. The track does arrive at a cool little fucking swing riff, lots of swagger in it, but the fucking dog shit that we had to weigh through to get to there makes this a terrible song still. Iomi's guitar tone is a little bit more thin on this one too, in comparison to the rest of the album even. It picks up a bit at the swing part, but mostly that's geezer that's bringing that fucking flavor. It's kind of like hole in the sky vibe. They just didn't dial in Iomi quite right on this God is Dead song. His tone is so much better on all the fucking Exeter tracks from the end EP that we'll get to shortly in the bonus tracks. I might be picking at Bart a bit here, but to me, this is one of the most boring songs that I've ever heard from fucking Sabbath, from any era. 
So fuck God is dead. And fuck the next one too while you're at it. <laughs> Absolutely no attempt for them to try to mask the fact that they're rehashing the 70s shit. In fact, the working title for track number three, which eventually became Loner, it was originally called Fountain Pen, which was a dig at Nibby. You remember the fucking story about Nibby, the pen nib, Bill Ward's fucking beard? Yeah, so they knew what they were doing here right from the get-go. That was the original working demo title. They were trying to make a rehash of fucking NIB. And Loner musically tries to pick up the pace a little bit, but it's not really working. Like, I mean, here, this sums up the energy level of fucking Loner. Like, listen to Ozzy's signature all right now in the fucking song. All right now. Here, we'll compare the original, and then you'll feel what I'm saying about the lack of fucking energy. So, Ozzy, all right now, the evolution. First, Sweet Leaf. Then, this is what we got on Loner. All right now. See, that fucking sums it up there. And the disappointment just continues on to fucking track four. Jesus, yeah. I'm not hot on this album that we're given here, but I'll tell you what, there is a remedy to all this at the end, so bear with me here. I'll get through it and present you with the fucking good shit from this session. It's all on the cutting room floor, boys. <laughs> That's the Redeemers. But not track two, right through fucking track five even. So on to the fourth track. What can be said about fucking Zeitgeist? I mean, I guess it's not the worst little jam. It's pretty fucking jazzy and cool, but it's so blatantly ripped off of their own legacy here again. Hell, the working title for Zeitgeist was Moon Winnebago. So just like the last one, it's fucking sad, man. They're just trying to recreate Planet Caravan right down to the fucking singing through the fan vocals like Caravan Head. Like, why do this, guys? Well, because Rick Rubin demanded it, but, like, when they did Solitude after Planet Caravan was on Paranoid and then they did Solitude on Master of Reality, it sounded fresh and it sounded new. Like, they weren't trying to recapture Caravan verbatim, but still, you know, they were in that vein, in that kind of mood. Like, who wants to hear a bastardized version of a previous song? You're never going to top the original writing in that kind of style. Let's look at the lyrics here, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> no, just kidding, it might as well be. <clears throat> Astral engines in reverse, I'm falling through the universe again. Down among the dead man's vision, faded dreams and nuclear fission span. So we got some more fear of the big one, once again. Escape from a doomed world, I guess. Are there any other fucking themes on this record, really? No, it's all doomsday and Satan classic sabbath the strings of fear they're holding up the race the puppets falling to the ground the love i feel as i fly endlessly through space lost in time i wonder will my ship be found so there you go directly sequel or pick up from fucking planet caravan this one's legitimately an astronaut floating in space man i don't know let's just skip to the next track which is a fucking great one this is my favorite song on the album that actually made the cut here. Track six, and shit, we're more than halfway through the fucking album. <laughs> Finally, a badass new, fresh-sounding Sabbath track rises up. Age of Reason. Big fucking riffs, big drums, some old-school, experimental-leaning production on this one. I fucking love this song. It really needs to be higher in the track list, though, because it's the moment when I kind of snap out of the daze and say, whoa, okay, there's a fucking cool song there. 
And that needs to happen before fucking side two, lads. I'm sorry. So let's bring up the lyrics here. Bask in the glow of age of reason. The diamond in the rough. I'm 13 here. It's more musically my favorite than, you know, lyrically. I mean, there's some killer fucking keyboards in there on the track, too. It's great. Epic. But the lyrics are cool, too. So here they are. Do you hear the thunder raging in the sky? Premonition of a shattered world that's going to die. In the age of reason, how do we survive? The protocols of evil ravaging so many lives. So again, more doomsday shit for your ass. <laughs> but like I said, the music in this one is fucking badass. Drums included. I love what Brad Wilk brings to the age of reason. When they play this live too, sounds fucking great. So after that redemption track there, we get right back into the terrible selects that Rick Rubin made for this album with Live Forever. This one should not have made the album in any way. The fact is, to put this on over fucking Season of the Dead or fucking Pariah, like, what the fuck are you thinking? This has to be one of the Aussie pen tracks because it oozes kind of his solo vibes here, just in the words mostly. Just before you die, they say you're going to see your life flashing by. Cold, dark, endless night to burn in hell or bathe in heaven's light. Well, I don't want to live forever, but I don't want to die. I don't want to change the world and I don't want the world to change me. See, it sounds fucking Ozzy to me. I'm willing to bet my fucking soul that this is one of the four songs with Ozzy penned lyrics that made the album, as reported by some sources. So Damaged Souls is up next, which is very rough. Like, it's not album ready at all, but it's a cool fucking jam, mind you. Good throwback to their blues roots. But my God, is it fucking aimless? Like, it feels like a goddamn demo. Into a fucking boogie kind of blues traveler kind of deal <laughs> complete with ozzy on the fucking blues harp it's always a treat to hear ozzy honking on bobo there but <laughs> i mean yeah just trying to recapture the debut kind of vibes even a little bit before the debut maybe wizard vibes in there too blatantly with ozzy on the fucking harmonica that's gonna obviously come out he's not exactly fucking john popper on there I've taken a lot of time away from this record, and I recall back in 2013 when I first heard this record, like when it first came out, I remember thinking, oh, Damaged Souls is fucking cool. It's like it's this bluesy kind of stripped down thing. I didn't really pick up on how stale things are compared to where they came from, you know? And the closer, that also doesn't grab me either. Like this nursery rhyme kind of closer deal that they have here, Dear Father, that seriously needs some editing. Like, even the song, when it starts, it's got that fucking false start, and you can hear Iomi rubbing the strings. Like, lads, just fucking sequence this stuff, punch those riffs in. Like, it's nothing as cool as what they did on Sabotage, where it was very, you know, Sabotage has that live off the floor kind of vibe feel, lots of count-ins left in, and like hard cuts out. Like, it has this kind of feel of them just kind of ripping it out as fast as they can, and it works. But Dear Father, it doesn't hit like fucking hole in the sky, so you can't really pull that kind of vibe with it. I like that it concludes with the thunder and the rain and the church bells ringing again, like bringing us back to a better day, but it's a bit cliche, I guess, but it works for me. And it is funny too, that later on they do the bells and thunder again on one of the bonus tracks. So maybe there was a choice to use either this or the song Cry All Night as the closer spot initially. I don't know. It would have been a better choice to go with fucking Cry All Night, I will say that. but. We'll get to that track in a few here. So all in all, pretty fucking disappointing album. Let's be honest. With the tracks that are chosen for the 13 album from the 16 that are recorded, 
like it, they really test your patience throughout the whole fucking album on re-listens especially maybe the first time you hear it through you're like oh that was kind of a cool vibe but the second you replay these ones you the fucking fatigue sets in tenfold but okay the outcast man <laughs> let's turn this ship around here pick those up because this is the fucking gold of this session the bonus tracks here yeah we're into the modern age here folks so these were digital only bonus tracks that you'd get on the deluxe edition there were three additional songs here and i like them all i'd even go as far as to say that every one of them is better than anything on the album in my opinion except maybe naivety in black i don't really get that song but anyway first off written by ozzy this one is and it's a fucking banger too methodemic it's been said that Ozzy wrote four tracks on the 13 sessions, so of the 16 songs here, but Methodemic is the only one that has been officially declared as an Ozzy-written track. And I'd say if I were to venture a guess, I would think that Ozzy wrote Loner, maybe Live Forever 2. Those two feel very Ozzy to me. And then maybe God is Dead. I don't know, that one might be geezer though. But the whole keep the bread and give me the wine, that screams Ozzy to me. Could be Geezer too, though. He's got a sense of humor. Anyway, Methodemic is the only confirmed one that's Ozzy. And I love this track. And the next one of the bonus tracks crushes as well. Fucking peace of mind. I love this song. Like, see, guys, this is where my love for 13 comes in. The bonus material. Big time fucking Geezer tone on peace of mind. I love the bass on this track. It's another solid track overall. Far better than the majority of tracks on Ruben's shit list. Had Peace of Mind made it onto 13's final track listing, it would have probably been like the album's shortest song, but it still would have added a variety that is lacking from that LP. Like, the song is this great bridge of Ozzy's kind of solo vibes mixed in there with like a straight up fucking Sabbath jam. And then the icing on the cake for the bonus tracks, and this one is so good that it gets the fucking flag today. Why the riff compels me? Pariah, classic track despite some clumsy rhymes in the chorus. Pariah features an awesomely thick, straight up fucking raunchy guitar tone. Goes from like this crawling riff and speeds up to a full on rager. I gladly dub this the power of the riff today. And so also there's one more bonus track here that came out with the original release. This one was a Best Buy exclusive, Naivety in Black. And kind of like Peace of Mind, it has more Aussie kind of flavor in it. Quite a bit more melodic, less doomy. Also, it's really the only non-album track that I would have also left off the album. It just doesn't grab me. So that's all of them, right? No. That's it for the ones that the guru had the heavy hand in, fucking mixing and resequencing. But like I said, the band recorded 16 songs for this project. So so outside of the 12 listed above there, the titles for the other four tracks were also kind of leaked through interviews and shit surrounding the release of 13. But we didn't officially get to hear these tracks until the end proper. 2016, I think, is when the EP came out. And the songs were Cry All Night, Isolated Man, Season of the Dead, and Hanging by a Thread. These four tracks were eventually remixed and remastered by Iomi and Mike Exeter in Iomi's home studio. So they have a very different vibe. I think they fucking sound way better. Hanging by a Thread, that title got changed to Take Me Home. And the four tracks were put together on an EP and given to fans during the last leg of their huge farewell tour in 2016, The End, which we'll touch on briefly in a bit. The artwork for this album was done by Obey, which is 
pretty fucking lame. I've never been into Obey or Banksy and that kind of fucking stencil art, but it was all the rage, right? So the record included four unreleased tracks and four live offerings as well from the Reunion 13 tours. Instead of me just going through these four tracks, I'll just say right now, they're all fucking great. Season of the Dead is a particular highlight for me, but I'm gonna give you a little playlist here because really, the way 13 was curated, the sequencing that the guru did and all that fucking dog shit, it needs to be remedied here. And the NDP had the right idea, but it's a little short for a full fucking offering. Side A is Season of the Dead to open, then Methodemic, then into Age of Reason, which is one of the only ones coming over from the actual album, then Pariah. And then for Side B, you got Take Me Home, Peace of Mind, Cry All Night, and then the other one that comes over from the actual album, End of the Beginning, would be the big closer. And I'd still have the fucking thunder and rain hit at the end like it currently does on Dear Father. I like that callback as hacky as it fucking works. And that covers all the fucking studio offerings from Black Sabbath. So let's talk a bit about all of the touring over those three years of winding it down there. We'll just do this briefly now. It's a huge fucking tour cycle for both 13 and the end with just a couple of months break in between. But as most big, huge farewell tours, it's pretty scripted once they get it rolling. So let's get that caravan happening though one last time. It is a funny story. I think those stories are kind of best in the caravan. So the Sabbath hits the road in 2013 with the band playing shows in New Zealand, Australia, Japan, North America, South America, and Europe. Like I said, I'm covering a lot of caravan ground here really quickly, so so I'm just going to burn through some dates, some stats here on the 13 tour. Just to highlight kind of what was going on, we'll roll right through into the next tour as well, so buckle your goddamn seatbelts, lads. Dubbed the Black Sabbath Reunion Tour, the tour consisted of 10 legs. Yes, 10 fucking legs. Now, this was in order to break and allow Iomi to have cancer treatments every six weeks at the beginning. So that factors into here, but the tour is fucking extensive. It, like, takes up their lives. It's fucking incredible that Iomi was able to swing this shit, too. What a fucking warrior. 84 gigs over two years. You got 32 in Europe, 35 in North America, 8 down under in Australia, New Zealand, two in Asia, and seven in South America. So for the first shows, those were the Australia, New Zealand, Oceania gigs. So the Kiwis, 2013, they get two shows, April 20th and 22nd. And then it's down to Australia, and actually the band's performances at the Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne on the 29th of April and the 1st of May were professionally recorded and released as a live album and film fucking love this live album too you can experience it this one in glorious hd on blu-ray live gathered in their masses the film is of course kind of spliced from the two shows so let's look at the actual set list here not the actual order of the video this is the set that was in melbourne first there's only two changes so i'll just note those on the fly here and you'll kind of get a vibe of what's on it so it's war pigs into the void under the sun already my two fucking favorite sabbath tracks right there you also get Snowblind, Electric Funeral. Like, look at that fucking War Pigs into the Void, Under the Sun, Snowblind, Electric Funeral. Like, I'd have to change my pants several times at this concert. <laughs> and so, Electric Funeral, they only play the first night. And the second night, 
that's when they premiered Loner in that spot, which I'd be kind of pissed if I missed the first night, didn't get Funeral, and then I came back for that dog shit track. But anyway, it's a new track. They got to throw it in there. Then it's Black Sabbath, Behind the Wall of Sleep, NIB. Methodemic is on the first night and end of the beginning on the second night. So that's all of the fucking alternates covered there. It's cool that they play the bonus track too, Methodemic. So even they knew that Ruben fucked up <laughs> with the tracks he picked for the album. This is the rest of the set here for both nights. It's the same. Fairies Wear Boots, Symptom of the Universe, Into the Drum Solo, Iron Man, God is Dead, Dirty Women, Children of the Grave, and for the encore, it's Paranoid mixed with Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. And the band also headlined the first ever Ozfest in Japan, Chiba City, along with Slipknot, Tool, a bunch of them on that one early on in the tour. And they played Abu Dhabi for the first time, so they were still breaking new ground on these tours, even 45 years into things, playing places that Sabs had never been. But that pretty much covers the 13 tour, which goes right through 2014. And in September of 2015, after just a couple months off, they announced that their next big tour would be their final farewell tour. The last tour till this date. The OG3 again with Tommy Kalfutos and Adam Wakeman in tow. The end. Okay, let's just run down the stats here. 81 dates this time, spread over six legs. The opener was fucking awesome too. Like, this might have been when I first heard about these guys, too. But be sure to check out Rival Sons, a killer rock band, if you like fucking true rock. Amazing musicians. First few albums are a little derivative of the Led Zeppelin, and, like, they get better and better and better and get their own kind of sound mixed in there. Great fucking band. I think they were the only ones opening, too. So, 41 dates in North America, 7 in Oceania, 26 dates in Europe this time and seven in South America. So massive by most standards, but this is basically the same circuit that they did on the reunion tour just a year earlier. And the set list for the end is much more about the classic stuff. Here are all the songs that were played on this cycle. No big surprises jump in here, but let's have a look. Uh, so they always open with Black Sabbath, which is great, opening with that. Fairies wear boots. Under the sun every day comes and goes. They do a fucking great version of that. Some volume four love is strong at this part of the set too. I love that. Tomorrow's Dream popped in a couple of times. And you got some Master of Reality stuff. After Forever, Into the Void. Snowblind is always in there and it sounds great as always. War Pigs, Behind the Wall of Sleep creeps in there. NIB, Hand of Doom. Medley that they kind of bust out instrumentally that includes Supernaut, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Megalomania which is rare and cool. Uh, Rat Salad's also in there as part of Tommy Clifuto's drum solo. He then kicks it into Iron Man. Uh, and yeah, they did play God is Dead, so that's the one that only made appearances in the early shows. So there was some 13 hangover there. And Dirty Women is the lone rap from Tech X. I don't understand why that's in there over, like I would have put Never Say Die in at least, you know? Like, if you're going to fuck off one album between Tech X and Never Say Die, fuck off Tech X. But they decide to cut all of Never Say Die, which is kind of a tragedy. I fucking love that record. Shameful. Anyway, they also play Embryo into Children of the Grave. Paranoid is, of course, the encore and the last song that they ever play live. So, And, I mean, of course, the whole deal 
wrapped where it began in Birmingham. There's a fucking fantastic live document of that event, the end of the end. The video is a little annoying in the edits for those who just want to kind of see the concert as it was, as they kind of intercut interview segments in and drop songs. And, you know, during the solos, they usually cut away to them yapping, which kind of pisses me off. But check it out. They sound absolutely awesome on that fucking night. And you can just feel it, man. The interviews are shot well, too. The whole concert is fucking shot great. These slow motion shots of Kofutos and how hard he hits. It's fucking deadly stuff. It's a cool package. They also film like a studio jam, too, which is incredible. Seeing the guys kind of interacting again. It's a proper film, lads. Go check it out. You get Ozzy honking on Bobo in there. (laughs) It's hilarious. In the studio, they play The Wizard and one of my all-time old-school favorites, Wicked World. Just deadly stuff. And that's where a newfound respect for Tommy happened. And, of course, they do a big fucking send-off thing with changes. Just the OG3 in the studio. And if that doesn't get you in the feels, I don't know what the fuck will. (laughs) It's impossible to not feel how special this event was. To end it in the Brums, too. Geezer has, like, this custom Aston Villa bass at one point. It's just fucking deadly. It's really a shame that Nibby wasn't there. They even mentioned it a couple of times in the interviews. So his presence is felt, but it's also missed. As much as Tommy is a beast, I can't help but miss Nibby on certain jams. Like, when they go into Fairies Wear Boots especially, at that point I was like, man, this needs to be fucking Bill Ward playing. <laughs> but, hey, there's still time for them to honor that separately, right? Like, the four guys can get back together at any time now. Nibby's extended the fucking olive branch. Ozzy's got his health up again. And you know fucking Iomi and Geezer are always in top form. As far as the big world tour thing wrapping up, it's very cool that they went out sounding so good and that they were able to make this great fucking package to showcase the end. So there you go. Let's close the sabography. What a fucking journey. So Solancha, one last time. Happy 2020, friends. Ooh. And one last time. Bog Blast all of you. Well, chaps, thank you for everything. Now, fuck off.